Well, why don't we pray before we uh, look into God's word? Father, well, thank you for this series on prayer that we're doing. Father, we pray that as we uh, look into how to pray uh, this evening, Father, pray that you would speak to us through your word. And Father, pray that we might leave being able to pray to you better and to honour you as we speak to you in prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, so I said this evening we're going to be looking at how to pray. We've already looked about what prayer is. Uh, in future weeks we're going to be looking at um, uh, what to pray. And um, before we start, really, what of Indiana Jones, or being Indiana Jones, and talking about how to pray? Got in common. Here's a picture of Indiana Jones from uh, the Last Crusade. Well, in both places, being Indiana Jones and talking about how to pray, you've got to tread carefully. You've got to tread carefully. Because when Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray, actually Jesus taught them what to pray. If you think about it, he taught them the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to be covering that next week. Uh, but I wanted to look a little bit at, at how we actually pray. Um, and there should be a bit of a clue here by that, that we're treading a little bit on the periphery of Scripture, on the outskirts uh, of Scripture. The Bible doesn't really tell us about much about how to physically pray. Uh, whilst not unimportant, it just doesn't seem the primary concern. It's more about what to pray and that we do pray. Uh, I've sort of done the opposite there, really, of what you're supposed to do in an introduction to a talk, haven't I? I've sort of downplayed exactly what we're going to be doing. But it's worth looking at this area because this is an area where we have lots and lots of questions. And there are a few things that we can learn about how to pray. So the first thing that we see is that we're to pray with our Bibles open and to pray with our uh, live with our Bibles open as well. We're to pray with our Bibles open because as we saw last week, prayer is a conversation with God that God has started. God is the first speaker by speaking to us first by the Bible. So actually when we pray, we're really uh, talking in response to God. And it's also worth remembering that as we read the Bible, prayer is crucial as we read the Bible. It sort of works both ways, doesn't it? So we, the Bible is essential as we pray and prayer is essential as we read the Bible. But if we're going to pray effectively, then we need to be uh, looking into the Bible. So it's good to read something before you pray. It's a reminder of what God has said. Uh, it's good to pray after you study the Bible, isn't it? Think about, uh, so at our church we have home groups uh, called life groups. And normally we have a sort of Bible study that we have. Uh, and then afterwards uh, we have a time of prayer. But how often do our prayers match what we've read? Often don't you sort of feel a bit of a gear shift happens? I'm sure it happens in lots of, of small groups. It's certainly been my experience over the years. You know, you're looking at really deep and profound things uh, in the study. Uh, and then suddenly it, it sort of changes gear and you pray about things that are not related to what you've been talking about. When I meet up one-to-one with people to read the Bible together, I often end by saying, well, what would be a good thing to pray for uh, in the light of what we've read? So that sort of question is really, really helpful, isn't it? As we read through the Bible, what would be a helpful thing uh, to pray for in the light of what we've read? Now, don't hear me by that saying that in life groups we shouldn't pray for each other. What I'm saying is that we should pray for each other, but in the light of what we've been talking about, in the light of what we've been reading. But then secondly, within that point, really, we should live with our Bibles open. Uh, what I mean by that is that if we're to pray in line with God's purposes, which we talked about last week, then we need to live in line with God's purposes as well. Much of the hard work of prayer actually goes on in the in-between praying bits. Because if we're to pray for God's purposes, then we need to learn 
what God's purposes are. And we need to live them out as well. And if we're doing that, if we're living out uh, the word, if we're living out God's purposes in our life, then actually that will shape our prayers as we pray. So think about it for a second. Imagine uh, you're meeting up with a missionary. What do you imagine a missionary prays for? Uh, I bet actually they do pray for loads of things that we don't expect, don't they? But we normally think, don't we, of missionaries would pray for the mission. It would be a little bit strange if we sent somebody all the way to uh, to India or to, to Africa or to Indonesia, as we've got friends over there as well. If they weren't praying for the mission they'd been sent for, that would be a little bit strange, wouldn't it? But actually, do you realise that's actually really the same for us, isn't it? If we're living on the mission, if we're actually seeking to reach people with the gospel, if we're seeking to bring God's purposes about in the world, then that's what we're going to pray for, isn't it? If that's what our whole lives are about, that will be reflected in how we speak to God as well. So praying for God's purposes involves the word, involves the Bible. So I'm not here saying that we need to pray for God's secret purposes in a situation. There was somebody asked last week about, uh, we mentioned an auntie with a broken leg. You know, a classic example of, you know, something something to pray for. And we talked about praying in line with God's purposes. But actually, it's a really hard, it's really hard to pray for God's secret purposes in those sort of situations. Because they're secret. We don't know what they are. But we do know what God's purposes are in the Bible, don't we? So as we think through... Uh, what God has already revealed. We might not know a question like, why has her leg been broken? But we might be able to say, well, the Bible teaches us things about um, what, what, why things happen in general in the world, doesn't it? So what's the big thing that God's doing in the world? Well, God is seeking people who are lost and bringing them into the kingdom of his son. And then he's growing people in the kingdom of his son into more of the likeness of Christ. That's really what God's big purposes are that we find in the Bible, bringing people into the kingdom of his son and then growing them into the likeness of Christ. So whatever situation we have, even an auntie with a broken leg, that should affect how we pray. So if she's not a Christian, well, we could pray, Lord, cause her to think about this extra, in this extra time that she's got in bed, to think about the real things of life. Bring her to yourself. We could even pray, I don't think this would be too bad, um, you're wondering what's coming now, aren't you? <laughs> but we talked about, you know, not necessarily just praying for healing, though that's not a bad thing to do. But if it really means that she's going to have time to think, could we pray for God to break her other leg? <laughs> if it gives her more time to think? Isn't that actually more important, really, than a few extra days out of bed? <clears throat> or, Lord, help me to use my extra visits to my aunt to, to speak the gospel to her. Wouldn't those be brilliant things to pray, as well as praying for healing as well? But there are other ways that we can pray within the purposes of God. If she's a Christian, then we could pray through Romans 5 with her. If you've got a notice sheet, there are some on the back. If you came in a bit afterwards, you might not have one. But there are some on the back. Uh, Romans 5, 3 to 5. Teaches us what, what happens through suffering. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We could pray through that for her, couldn't we? As she's suffering, we could say, well, we pray that that suffering will produce endurance, that that endurance would produce character, that, that character would be producing hope in her life. So even by a broken leg, we can be praying for hope, 
for that person in their life. Just for what the Bible says. So don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for uh, her leg to get better. But what I am saying is in the purposes of God, there might be other things that we could pray for. If we're living with that in mind, then those things will be in mind when we pray. If we're living with the mission in mind, then it will fill our thoughts. Our lives and our thought lives, our prayer lives will be shaped by God's mission in the world. So pray with your Bible open and live with your Bible open. And then secondly, pray regularly and pray irregularly. Pray regularly and pray irregularly. Firstly, pray regularly. Now, a bit of an illustration here. Unless you are a hobbit, um, hobbits aside, most people eat three meals a day. That's a fair, fair point. You might have some people who have, you know, breakfast, lunch, tea and supper. Or, but that's, that's quite again, increasingly rare, isn't it? We normally have about three uh, meals a day. Now, there's no biological or scriptural imperative to have three meals in a day, to have breakfast, lunch and dinner. And yet you find all over the world, the idea of having a meal is a good idea. That having a regular time in the day when you eat is a good thing. You see, regularity can actually be a friend in that sense. It doesn't have to be, you know, you wouldn't say that eating, eating a meal is, is a formality and is, is too much regiment, uh, regimenting, would you? Regularity can actually be a friend. And people in the Bible pray regularly as well. So if you look at Daniel 6 verse 10, which again is on the back of your notice sheets. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that was a document saying he couldn't pray. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God uh, before his God as he had done previously. Do you see, actually, Daniel had a regular time of prayer. It, was, it wasn't a bad thing. He, he, he did this every day. There are some people who have two times a day, twice a day, based around the idea of day and night. Now, the, some people, I think, push this too far and say that that means you absolutely must have two times a day. I don't think it's a bad thing to have two times of prayer a day, but I wouldn't say that it's a, a scriptural imperative. It doesn't mean that we have to. Scripture doesn't give us a schedule um, and I don't want to lay burdens on you that scripture doesn't. But does our praying reflect what the Bible says when it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, pray without ceasing? And actually, I think if we don't have a regular time, we're going to struggle really to do that. Because regularity can actually be our friend. If we have a regular time, actually, we will do those things. But taking all that seriously, we should actually pray irregularly. Now, with uh, prayer, snacking between meals is not only allowed, it's positively encouraged. So don't think that you just have to have one or two or three times a day for prayer. If your prayer is limited to just those regular times, you probably have a problem as well. So, for example, if you only talk to your wife or husband on date night, then that doesn't say much about a healthy relationship, does it? Even though you've got that regular time set aside, it doesn't really speak of a, a loving relationship. <coughs> now, we are to pray without ceasing. So the idea of that is actually to carry on praying throughout the day. Now, in Islam, they misunderstood <coughs> this totally. So I don't know if you know the story that goes in, in Islam that they have where God asked Muhammad to pray 50 prayers a day. Uh, and Muhammad, on the <coughs> advice of Moses, haggles God down to five. Uh, times a day. That's why Muslims pray five times a day. 
that's not what it's saying by pray without ceasing, as though you're a super Christian if you have 50 times, or if you have five times. It's not about the number of times that we pray, it's about communication. It's knowing God alongside us in our day. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience, I've had a a few experiences where I've been uh, driving, and uh, I've got a passenger that I didn't know very well. And you know you have that sort of brief conversation, or you, your week's been okay, yeah, your week's been okay, yeah, great. And then there's that awkward silence that just sort of carries on and on and on. And you're thinking, this is a four-hour car journey. <laughs> How are we going to cope when there's that awkward silence all the way through? Well, God doesn't want a silent car journey. God doesn't want us to forget that he's there with us through the day. It's not just when we come to God in prayer that he's with us. As we were learning last week, actually, God has brought us into his presence already through Christ. We're already with him. So when we're not talking to him, it's a bit like that silent treatment with the car seat. Though, of course, in this illustration, God is driving, isn't he? We're the the awkward passenger. But do you spontaneously speak to God in your day? Remember that God is there, so we should pray irregularly as well as regularly. Next, we should pray in private and we should pray in public. Pray in private and pray in public. Now, this is something Jesus is more explicit on. Uh, Jesus teaches in the Gospels uh, about the need to pray in private, to go into your uh, closet, as it was in the older translations, and close the door. Or in other words, to go into your bedroom uh, and not be seen. Why? Well, the reason he was teaching that was to avoid hypocrisy. He was talking to the Pharisees, uh, who prayer was about communication for the Pharisees too, but just communicating with other people. That was the thing. They would communicate how holy and righteous they were to other people who were listening as they stood and prayed on street corners. They wanted people to go past and say, hey, there's a holy man. There's a, a godly chap or a godly woman. But Jesus says no. Back to last week, prayer is talking to God, not to people. That's the communication uh, that we have. So we are to pray in private, but that doesn't rule out praying in public. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but actually the the way that Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, begins our Father. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. Actually, the Lord's Prayer is designed to pray in a group, if you like. It's actually a, a group setting. Now, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks' time when we look at the fellowship of prayer, so I don't want to cover this too much, but it doesn't have to be hypocritical to pray out loud. Next, positions and no positions. Is there a particular position to pray in? Now, I've actually been quite surprised as I've looked at the Bible this week as I've been preparing this. I all... You know, sometimes you sort of... You you know roughly what you're going to say. Sometimes preachers say, I'm going to say that, and you know, you try and find it in the Bible. (laughs) <laughs> it's not, well, not the way to do it. Uh, I feel thoroughly rebuked this week. But, um, you know, I wanted to say, oh, yeah, actually, the Bible doesn't speak about, you know, what position to pray in or, or what to do. Actually, I've been quite surprised as I've looked at the Bible, at the positions that people pray. There's an awful lot of kneeling in prayer in the Bible, an awful lot. Um, so I've given you one verse on the back of your notice sheets, which is Luke 22, uh, 41. I think it is. And he withdrew from them, that was Jesus, about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. There were way more than that. Acts 9.40. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. 
Uh, Acts 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Psalm 95. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our, our Lord, our maker. Acts 21 verse 5. When our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. So even when they're praying on the beach, uh, they kneel down uh, to pray. So actually, there does seem to be a lot of biblical evidence that kneeling is, is linked with prayer. There's also the idea of lifting arms. Uh, so I think I put there um, 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. I desire then that, then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Somebody said it's a bit like, uh, he's saying men tend to like to do things with their hand. If you give a man a problem, they tend to try and fix it, you know, with a hammer or a uh, chisel. I'm not, not so great when it's a cookery problem or something, but uh, <laughs> with a hammer or a chisel. I'm not saying men can't cook. Uh, don't hear me wrong. Um, but the idea of, God, of men using their hands, lifting them up in prayer rather than lifting them up to, to fight or to quarrel about things. But again, there's lots more of it. Uh, Genesis 14, uh, 21 to 23, you get Abraham uh, being talked of lifting up his hands to the Lord. Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So it's sort of paralleling prayer and, and lifting of hands. In 2 Chronicles, you get Solomon praying, uh, before the temple, he says, then the Lord, uh, sorry, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high and had set it in the court and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of the assembly and spread out his hands towards heaven and said. So there you actually get kneeling and hand lifting at the same time. Uh, just to show you that actually the Bible does talk about this. So here's a bit of a weird question. Why don't we think about those sorts of things? Why don't we think about praying with our hands up or kneeling down? Well, I think it's probably because as, as Christians in the UK, we're often quite scared of physicality in general when it comes to things like prayer. It happens in worship as well, don't, doesn't it, if you think about it? I think sometimes churches can characterise themselves as the people who don't put their hands up or the people who do put their hands up. Actually, what's wrong with putting your hands up? People do it in the Bible. Uh, no one's ever been able to tell me why that's wrong to do that as we sing. I don't often feel the urge myself, but I feel self-conscious when I'm tempted to respond physically. There's something about me. I don't know if it's sort of something about me or something about uh, my upbringing. But we're, we're suspicious of the, the physicality. And I think it's the same with prayer. We're tempted to not do the physical. We think of it just as being the spiritual. But actually, sometimes doing physical things can help us with the spiritual. So as people come to Jesus, they kneel down. As people come down, uh, talk to Jesus, they, they bow down before him. There's something about physicality that, that can make a difference. I'm not saying, again, that we have to. But it's worth thinking about, certainly in our private prayer. Could we adopt positions that fit with the way that we're praying? <laughs> and then lastly in this section, eyes closed or eyes open. Now, nowhere in scripture are we told to pray with our eyes closed. Uh, so why do we do it? Well, it can be an aid to concentration, can't it? It sort of blocks out the world uh, around us. And I think certainly in our uh, history as Protestant churches, 
uh, it's been in opposition to those who stare at images or stare at uh, different things to sort of focus themselves. Instead, we close our eyes. Well, do we have to? No, not always. Uh, if you pray when you're driving, it's a very good idea not uh, to close your eyes when you are driving. Uh, if you have young children, you often find uh, my wife and I at the prayer meeting with our two children, we pray with our eyes open, because if we close our eyes for too long, uh, we find that our children are, are somewhere else. Um, but I think in a group setting, it is preferable if you can. Uh, I remember a, a number of years ago, I was in, involved with a group called Young Life, and we used to have a prayer meeting at the end of every uh, every meeting that we had. And people would, would sit around and uh, in a circle. And I wasn't from a Christian background, but I knew you were sort of supposed to close your eyes. But I remember the first time I opened my eyes, something happened. I heard a noise or something and discovered that nearly everybody else in the circle had their eyes open uh, and was sort of making signals at each other. These were teenagers, so, you know, it's sort of understandable. But it felt really disconcerting because I, I'd been, had my eyes closed all the time for about three or four years of going to this prayer meeting and then suddenly discovered that most other people... Uh, had their eyes open as well. You get that same sort of thing when people say the grace. Uh, in some churches, people close their eyes to say the grace, and in some churches, people keep their eyes open. But I think, actually, in group settings, it is preferable to keep your eyes closed if you can. I don't think it's really fitting for adults to be making signals to each other. And I've seen that with adult prayer meetings as well. And it can be very, very disconcerting if you open your eyes and you have them closed to see people laughing at each other or, or doing things like that. And I have seen that with adults. So it's not nice to everybody else uh, to do that. So maybe we'll touch on that again in a few weeks' time, or if you have a question uh, about it, do feel free to ask uh, on a blue slip. But lastly, what matters more? We've talked a lot about the physical side of things. We've talked about uh, regularity. Well, more than position or private or public or any of that is our relationship with God. If your relationship with God is right, then prayer will follow. We often think of it the other way round, don't we? We think, I need to pray right to get my relationship with God right. But actually, Jesus has brought us into relationship with God. He's already put us into God's presence. So our relationship is not contingent, it's not dependent on our prayers. So in 1 John uh, chapter 3, 21 to 22, you see it again on the back of your notice sheets. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. It sounds a bit worksy until you read verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The reason why we're heard is our relationship with God. That's what he's saying there. The fact that we've been brought uh, into relationship with the Father. It's something that we already do if we're a Christian. Those things that it talks about, loving God, loving one another. He's saying if you are a Christian, if you have been brought to God by the Son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, then actually you are heard because of him. But we must foster that relationship that we had, uh, that we have with God. When the Bible talks about praying being hindered, it's due to sin. Sin will keep us from prayer. Sin distances us from God, from our perspective, certainly. So work on your relationship with God. This will involve prayer, interestingly enough. It sounds a bit circular again, doesn't it? 
But that's normal in any relationship, isn't it? If you have marriage problems, often there's communication problems as well. (coughs) Part of the solution to that problem will be starting communication, even though that's actually part of the problem. So if we want our prayers to be better, we actually just need to start praying, start communicating with our maker. What matters is that we do pray. God is quite capable of being gracious with us, isn't he? Of overlooking our failing tongues, of putting up with our double-minded requests, of our irregularity in our prayer. Our relationship with God is based on grace that the Lord Jesus Christ has won us. But it is a relationship. And if we forget that, then we're really in trouble. When we start treating it as a chore or as a bore, as with any relationship, it will be harder then to, to keep. So actually, we need to step out in faith and just go for it. We tread carefully as we go, but we tread, don't we? We pray. So let's do that now as, uh, as we uh, finish before our last song. Let's pray to God and ask that he would give us help uh, to do all that we've been talking about uh, tonight. Father, well, thank you that through the Lord Jesus, we are already in relationship with you. Thank you that Jesus has brought us into your presence. And Father, we pray that you would help us to foster that relationship that we have. Father, help us to know uh, how to pray. Father, help us to think through how we talk to you. Um, But Father, pray that you would help us just to start talking to you. Father, we know that you don't uh, want those long uh, car silences with us, Father. You want for us to talk to you. So we pray for each one of us in this room, Father. We pray that however good we think we are at praying or however bad we think we are at praying, Father, pray that you would help us to to pray that little bit more to you, uh, to communicate with you that little bit more, to be fostering that relationship, growing that relationship uh, that you have won for us in Christ. And Father, give us the strength by your spirit to do it. Father, we know that we can't do it in our own strength. But Father, thank you that you work in us through your Holy Spirit uh, to bring that about. So Father, we pray that you would in Jesus' name.